the conversations you have with traditional finance people today sound very different than four years ago. Right. Uh, four years ago, everybody thought we were crazy. Fast forward to today, it's almost like everybody thinks, you know, we saw something so genius. Uh, uh, but to us, the concept hasn't changed. We've been doing the same thing. It's just how people perceive us that has really changed. Everybody now is getting very, very clued in to this opportunity. And you're seeing very, very big capital move into the space. You're seeing the cost of borrowing get bid down aggressively because there's now more and more capital looking at the fact that companies like Lennon have 0% loan losses in, in all of our track record. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. We appreciate you stopping by yet another weekly installment of the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. In this episode, Josh and myself, Dan, sit down with Mauricio Di Bartolomeo and Mario Gibney from Bitcoin lending, borrowing, and financial services company, Ledin. As you'll quickly learn in this discussion, Ledin is a very unique company with a highly principled Bitcoin forward perspective. They are the first ever digital asset lending platform to undergo a formal proof of reserves attestation, where an independent public accountant regularly attests that the company is properly accounting for client assets. To put this plainly, this company mirrors and embraces the transparency, accountability, and auditability of Bitcoin itself. Mauricio is a co-founder in the CSO, and Mario is their director of community. During this chat, the four of us cover topics including each of our guests' fascinating backgrounds and journeys into Bitcoin, including how growing up in Venezuela has influenced Mauricio's perspective on inflation, how Bitcoin may help restore productive economic incentives, the importance of discerning and recognizing risk in the crypto space, and why proof of reserve should, and likely will, become industry standard. After researching Ledin in preparation for this conversation, and then subsequently having this conversation with Mauricio and Mario, they've impressed the two of us to such an extent that we've agreed to partner with them, and we're pleased to announce Ledin is the newest sponsor of the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. If you've listened to this show much at all, you've certainly noticed that we advise our listeners to be careful, manage risk, and not get over-leveraged. And that does include ensuring that any borrowing and lending decisions make sound mathematical sense based on your lifestyle and specific situation. Having said this, where available in your jurisdiction, Ledin offers a menu of powerful financial services. Keep ownership of your Bitcoin and access dollar loans with Ledin Bitcoin-backed loans. Harness your Bitcoin holdings to buy a new property or finance the home you already own with the upcoming Ledin Bitcoin Mortgage product. Save Bitcoin and USDC to have access to Ledin dollar loans and trading service, if available. You can look into Ledin's well-architected menu of services at ledin.io, that's L-E-D-N.io, and details about both our guests, including their Twitter handles, will be down in the show notes. In addition to the weekly podcast, you can engage with more of Josh and myself Dan's ideas and banter by following our shared Twitter handle, at blue underscore collar BTC. We are always pleased to announce that Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast is sponsored by CoinKite. If you've been in Bitcoin for more than 10 seconds, you've likely heard of the cold card, simply the most trustworthy Bitcoin security hardware in the business, and something the two of us have relied on for years. You've also likely seen the block clock, that handsome must-have display art piece sitting in the background of every shot of every serious Bitcoiner on planet Earth. 
In addition to these items, CoinKite offers a number of other products, including the Seed Plate, a simplistic and well-constructed option for metal seed backup, the Open Dime, and several new products, including the Sats Card, Tap Signer, and a brand new Cold Card Mark IV. We actually spoke in detail about some of these products last week with NVK, and you can access further details at CoinKite.com. If you are buying a Cold Card, feel free to use promo code BCB for 5% off purchases. All right, hope you enjoy our RIP session with Mauricio and Mario from Ledin. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Mauricio, Mario, how are you boys today? Doing very great, guys. Thank you so much for having us. Excited to be here. We're pumped. We were talking a little bit about your lead and products before we clicked record, and uh, we'll explore a lot of those in this episode as well as your backgrounds. I think one of our main thoughts is we're not naive to the fact that in a Bitcoin future where value is transferred over this protocol, there's going to be the need for financial services, lending, and it's our hope and expectation that that's going to be done in a more transparent, open, effective way. And it's, uh, it's good to see you guys kind of leading the league on that. Why don't we start sort of on the Ledin end, and then we'll go backgrounds before that. What is sort of the genesis of Ledin, and then each of you, what, what are your capacities there? Yeah, so I'll give you a, a quick genesis. It's, it's actually quite simple. And I'm Mauricio. I'm one of the co-founders and my, my official role now is Chief Strategy Officer. And the real, the, the original genesis of Lenin is we didn't want to sell our Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, we, we wanted to keep mining and grow our mining facilities and we didn't want to sell our Bitcoin. And we wanted somebody to lend us cash and take the Bitcoin as collateral because we thought we were giving up great collateral. And uh, in our view, Bitcoin was amazing collateral, like the best collateral. And we thought it was crazy that nobody was doing this. And they thought we were crazy for even wanting this. So immediately, Adam and I kind of bumped our heads when we were like, you know, enough times there were enough times where you can get financing for a Bitcoin. And there were some offerings out there, but we didn't really love how they were being presented to the market. And we said we can articulate something better. Uh, we think we, we, we have a pretty good shot at doing that. And uh, we found some investors in a team that really believed in us and uh, we took a crack at it. And something that started out pretty simple snowballed into now a, a pretty complete suite, I would say, of, of financial services. The pristine collateral comment is hard to wrap your head around at first, but then it, once you understand how this thing works, it, it clicks so clearly in the sense that this is collateral that's in your possession, right? As the lender, like in other lending environments, you have a claim on that, but you don't actually possess it. And this is a revolutionary concept that a lot of people haven't wrapped their heads around. This is the world you live in. What do these conversations look like when you're talking to other people, if you are rubbing shoulders with people in traditional finance or lending, where you're like, do you understand that this trades 24-7, 365, and that you possess the keys? You can liquidate and take it whenever you need it. It's, it's perfect in terms of its design as collateral. In addition to all that you just mentioned, it's global. For the first time in the history, I believe, of modern finance, there is a collateral, one type of collateral that I can take from Colombia that'll be no different than collateral in the same manner from Canada or the United States or Europe. And it allows us to really treat people 
in the same way because it's the same risk profile in many in many in many ways. Once obviously the client has passed full KYC and all this stuff, but it allows us to really really treat people and give them the same cost of financing, the same you know. Uh, uh, prepayment and and great interest rates etc and a lot of and a lot of our loans go to latin america which is an area of the world that we've chosen to focus on because they don't have the same access to credit than than many americans do you know we can fund the loan in 24 hours i I would bet you like 99 percent of banks south of texas can't really uh claim that and so it's it's pretty fascinating but on top of all of what you just said the conversations you have with traditional finance people today sound very different than four years ago. Right. Uh, four years ago, everybody thought we were crazy. Uh, you know, fast forward to today, it's almost like everybody thinks you know we saw something that was so genius. Uh, uh, but to us, it was always uh, the concept hasn't changed. We've been doing the same thing. It's just how people perceive us that has really changed. And I find that fascinating. Um, but everybody now is very getting very, very clued in to this opportunity. And you're seeing very, very big capital move into the space. You're seeing the cost of borrowing get bid down aggressively uh, because there's now more and more capital looking at the fact that companies like Glenn have 0% loan losses in, in all of our track record. And, and we can, to your point, liquidate 24-7. You can't sell a wing of a house. You can't, you know, uh, you can't partially recall a car, uh, but you can really, in real time, close out a Bitcoin loan if you need to. And so as a, as a lender who's worried about risk, that's, there's no better value problem. As you guys said, the four years ago, everyone thought you were crazy. I know three, four years ago, even a couple years ago, like if you were in the United States were trying to get a mortgage and you had, say, a significant amount of your net worth in Bitcoin, they look at you like you were crazy and they'd say, you know, effectively you're broke in our eyes. Is that changing at all in the traditional field in the traditional banking system or is if I want to get a mortgage today, am I still going to be looked at like I'm an insane person for having, you know, a significant amount of net worth in Bitcoin and they're going to be like this is not something we can use as proof of any kind of wealth. To them, it does. It doesn't even exist. It's like it's it's not real money, right? It's um. I mean, it's getting there, but yeah. I mean, like it's even worse than that. That I know people who have like had a large stack of Bitcoin in Canada and have wanted to purchase real estate out in Vancouver, and even if they sell their Bitcoin um for dollars in order to to get a down payment, um, they would have to. It would need to sit in their bank account for like six months or something crazy like that um, before they're allowed to use it. Um, uh, uh, for um, uh, for a deposit for a house, so it's like it it goes even beyond them not really you know uh, validating the um you know even after you've transferred it back into the legacy system you know there are there are um, there are hurdles there but uh, I'll let Mal comment uh, uh, on on the other parts of it and who wants to let their Bitcoin sit in dollars for any period of time I mean that's crazy exactly that's crazy Terracy. There are so many things that are dysfunctional about the existing system and 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 a lot of those things you don't have a reason whether it's like Banks have a, a a requirement to show that they have, you know, screened the the proceeds of the funds, etc. And so, you know, I guess to to make a long story short, the the banks, tier one banks, like what you would think of Bank of America, Wells Fargo, you know, the, these big guys, they still think you're crazy. Like to them, it's just one big goose egg still. Uh, but there, you know, we we announced the first. The first Bitcoin mortgage, uh, it was a waitlist for a product that uh, we announced in December. And the response to that has been amazing. And, and that largely came really because our clients were coming to us to take these big Bitcoin back loans because they weren't being able to get any financing from their banks. 
and they came to us and they said, hey guys, you know, I'm going to take a big loan. I'm going to go try to buy a house. I'm going to go, then I'm going to go try to refinance that transparently to try to get a lower cost of capital and repay as much as I can from the loan. And listen, we're all for that because we want our clients to get the lowest cost of capital. Like happy clients stay and happy clients come back. So we're not going to try to sell you into a product that doesn't make sense if you could get a better cost. So anyway, um, they bought the house and they kept coming back. And then even after that, they came back and they said, I, they're not giving me anything. Like I can't get nothing. Like I, I would much rather just deal with you guys. Is there anything you guys can do about this? And it was one that the request came one time. And then the request came a second time and then a third time. And then by the third time, then we said, okay, uh, you know, is there any way we can pilot this with one of our, our, our trusted clients? And so we put together a little pilot uh, 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 form and, you know, <laughs> he told a friend and a friend told a friend. And then we started getting all this inbound about this product that wasn't even created at the time and that you know we clued in and we said okay let's get our teams working on this uh we, we need to we need to stand this up um and uh you know with within a few i would say uh, months uh we, we we were ready essentially to launch the wait list and uh and we did and we announced that the longer series b and the, the response has been amazing the product is almost ready uh it's gonna hit ontario before it hits the the rest of canada and the u.s but we're, we're really really excited about that um because again, it just allows Bitcoiners to use their wealth to do something that is, you know, in our view, really cool. You know, you know, if you believe in uh, high quality assets, especially assets that you can live in, which is a very unique thing about about a property, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, if you can really, you know, there's a few things that I would even consider uh, using my stack for, <laughs> and you know, I think buying a house is is probably one of those. And, uh, and I think it's, it, you could tell the excitement, you know, given the responses. So we, you know, we're, we're really pumped to, to kind of drive that in and allow people to, um, cause this, this will be great for Bitcoiners at first, but we got so much interest from people that have their houses fully paid off and they yeah. want to go the opposite way and say, Oh, I want to use some of my house to buy some Bitcoin. I'd love to do it through you guys. And, and we just think there's endless potential in, in this product. And so that's why we're so pumped. I heard uh, you on with Preston and I loved a comment he had. He said, Ledin is the fiat speculative attack company. And uh, I was like, yeah, that basically is what they do professionally. The other thing with the with the mortgage product, which we'll, we'll ask more questions about later, but it is a testament to the fact that simplicity matters and all in one place is a big deal for consumers. Like, sure, could you execute this by doing four different steps and interacting with a bunch of bullshit intermediaries you don't want to deal with? You could. Or you could just go to Ledin and they could do it for you in a, in a much more transparent, clear-cut, efficient way. And you're not taking the kind of execution risk, which is, you know, you have to sell, market sell your Bitcoin and then you're sitting in fiat and then Bitcoin, you know, something happens and it goes up 20% or down 20%. I mean, I guess down would be good for you, but basically you're not having to take any more risk in the, in the interim while you're trying to get this loan, which is phenomenal. And there's 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 interesting tax implications uh, when you're going, uh, you know, when you're having to say sell your Bitcoin to buy something else, because then at that point you may trigger a taxable event, whereas through a loan, uh, most often you don't trigger a taxable right, event. Good point. And so it it, it does that that uh, especially amongst the people that have, you know, Bitcoin that they were, uh, you know. Uh, smart enough to buy at a really early point uh there's a lot of tax planning that that goes into the the process and uh, and i think that's where the loan is is it's pretty unique and and, and interesting and, and allows for a, a very interesting tool to diversify 
And, uh, and going back to the comment you made about the speculative attack company, uh, uh, company which I think it's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing tagline. So it, in Venezuela, I've, I've said this many times that I think it's just like, it's interesting. I, I, you know, given the, the, I've never had this chat with you guys. So in my lifetime, I've seen my home country's currency remove 14 zeros from itself. Wow. 14, 14 zeros. It's changed name three times. And, um, and so going back to this idea of speculative attack, basically when you're trying to, to make your fiat and put makeup on your fiat system to make it look like it's not cracking, you, you start creating these gaps, these, these inefficiencies. And, and so, and that gets reflected oftentimes and say, for instance, um, you know, let's just say, for example, that inflation runs really, really high and banks have to raise their interest rates tremendously, right? They have to go to like 20, 30%. I'm just talking hyperinflation, like what happened in Venezuela, right? Like inflation rates go through the roof. Bank can't, the bank, central bank can't even publish them because they're so bad. So the central bank just goes into hiatus. Literally, this happened in Venezuela. It just went dark for like a year. And, um, and so the banks, the commercial banks, the private money, the, the little that there is, 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 okay, no, we have to reprice this money. Like we have to, you know, our loans can't be going out at 5% anymore. We have to reprice these things to 40, 30%. And so that obviously chokes the economy, that, that creates a huge shock into the economy. And the governments are saying, whoa, whoa, Mr. Banker, uh, you can't just choke my economy. And the banker will say, well, yeah, but, well, this is our capital. Like clearly the cost of, like we're, we're bleeding here. We're, bare, we're not even making ends meet. Uh, but the government will be like, well, but that doesn't make me look good. And so, and they'll say, well, what do you want me to do? And they say, well, well, let me just give you some of this 0% new fiat so that you can lend it out at a lower rate uh, to some specific sectors of the economy that are of national importance, right? So, i.e., uh, you know, farming or i.e., uh, medicine or i.e., uh, infrastructure or you call it. Right. And what, what many times happens is these guys, you know, will go into these projects because they know they can get. 20% uh, uh, you know, uh, I would say bolivares when, when the running rate of inflation is call it 200%. So they'll just go and they'll do whatever they can to get the financing. The project doesn't even matter. Like they'll just get it. They'll turn it into, you know, dollars. They'll turn back then they would turn it into dollars. And it was just, you become a professional speculative attacker of the currency rather than a producer of anything. Mm, it is right. way more profitable mm. to attack these inefficiencies than it is to actually produce things. And so what happens is you get this entire nation of financial arbitrageurs uh, that try to basically exploit the gaps that you leave because of your crappy policy. Uh, you know, and, and this is kind of what happened in Venezuela. That makes a ton of sense. Like That explains a lot of the reason of the just inefficiencies in general that you see. Like People are obviously looking for opportunities for easy, quick money, and arbitraging is that easy opportunity. And when people see that opportunity, they seize it and makes them completely ineffective at whatever thing they it is that they do productively in the economy. I mean, used car prices, I think you talked to Preston about that too, but it's one of those weird inefficiencies that we're seeing today in our market, which is uh, my used car is worth more than a new car. And sometimes it's insane. Like, and people think they're fucking geniuses. Yeah. This is something we've never seen in the US. When you get into these environments, this is the tricky. So we're not necessarily fear-mongering here to say that we're go we're hyperinflating. However, we did have uh, Larry Lapard on a couple months ago and we both puckered in our seats when he started talking about where, where he sees this maybe going. But the point is, even if you move from moderate to significant feel-it type inflation, 
which is happening in the United States and Canada right now, the math indicates will continue to happen. Well, you get into an environment where emotional, impulsive, gambling-like behavior becomes much more prevalent and understandably so because short-term behavior is rewarded. Sitting on your hands does you absolutely nothing. And what makes it even more confusing is no one knows what, what the fuck's going on. So this is honestly part of the reason you are you are an unbelievable resource and incredibly fascinating to talk to because you have lived through this. You've seen this transpire and you're, I'm, this is, this is segue to question here is what similarities are you seeing in the United States right now that you've witnessed multiple times before in Venezuela when currency has started to debase and, and lose value? So, oh man, um, so so much to pull on there because I just went through an experience of trying to buy a car in 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 Canada, and I got immediately transported to Venezuela again. And I and I keep and I keep running into these Venezuelan sort of teleport man car dealers. You know, yeah. my my dad says something hilarious, which which now I think it's really even funnier. Now he says. I come from the future. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, and let me tell you, he starts the conversation. Like, I come from the future. And that's how he opens up. We got to have uh, him on, Josh. Yeah, we do. Oh, man. He was a Bitcoiner before I was, by the way. Full, full credit Hell to yeah. my dad. For, that's a future for, episode. For, how many for, Venezuelans um, are just w- like phenomenally wealthy right now because they saw this coming like, and were like, hey, this Bitcoin thing sounds great. Well, you know, there's there's not as many of those like accidentally rich. I bought it. Like I, I think the accidentally rich Bitcoiner is 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 probably more uh, uh, distributed around the people that you know wanted to kind of knew what Silk Road was about and they yeah. you know, kind of dabbled in and then they just forgot about it or or you know got there but didn't really do anything. And I think you get a lot of those, but less so in Latam because in Latam you you literally get thrown into Bitcoin. Because of very different reasons, you you get thrown into Bitcoin because of hyperinflation. Yeah. You need to teleport your money out, uh, and and that quickly means a quick transaction. The hook is, uh, you know, many people were in hyperinflating environment. They were like, you need dollars. Dollars became illegal in Venezuela, and there was no way for you to uh, digitally hold them in a bank. Uh, and the physical bills were were a big liability because you could get kind of stopped, pulled over, and kind of. You know, got felt up and get your bills taken away if you don't have a receipt from daddy government for them. And and uh, uh, what happened was people got, you know, they're like, okay, what can I buy? Well, there's no dollars. Uh, and then like, okay, well, then they went into non-perishable. So people started buying things like tires, rice, beans. And then the government says, you're hoarding. Uh, and then they start putting controls on, on the amounts of these types of non-perishables that you can even store or buy. And, uh, and then people say, okay, well, I can't, what is it? And then they say, well, I have this thing called Bitcoin that I can sell you. And you can sell it for these things called stable coins. Or back then, there weren't even stable coins. So you could just, you can sell it uh, in, in a P2P market. Uh, and it, or you can send it to somebody f- to sell it for you if you have a relative uh, overseas. And people were like, well, okay, like that's quasi dollars. So they started buying Bitcoin. And they said, okay, um, I have some Bitcoin. I'm going to go now and look to sell it. And around that time, in the moment, sometimes the selling process would take a few days. And then they would log back in and then they would say, okay, I'm about to sell this, but wait a second, this thing is worth more dollars than what I paid. And they had never seen that before. I know that sounds trivial to a person in North America because you've seen stocks, you've seen real estate go higher in price. But to somebody in Latam, like dollar, an extra dollar by like not just waking up one day, and and this was the the sort of whoa moment. And then they were like, okay, great. Now what can what can I do with this? And they're like, well, no, you can send it everywhere, anywhere you want. Like 
the, the US, yeah. And I don't have to ask the bank for permission to do this? They're like, no. To, to put it in perspective, so my family is Venezuelan and we, uh, as many Venezuelans did, we had to open bank accounts in other countries so that we could you know, protect our, our dollars and, and use it for, to pay for things because Venezuelan banks didn't, didn't uh, do dollars anymore. And, um, and one such account my family had or my dad had in Panama. And one time we were trying to pay for a surgery in, uh, in the, uh, I, I'm not going to uh, rat out the clinic, but it was a big clinic in the US and uh, to pay for someone to, to a relative surgery. And it took us, I believe it was seven days to process the wire. We had to send the reason why, like the actual letter stating that the surgery was real. Uh, and this is just to pay for a medical procedure. <laughs> and so the, the fact that somebody tells you you can send this and you don't have to, nobody's going to ask you questions. You can actually send it to your relative and you don't have to like, you know, no one's going to call you up to confirm whether you really want to send this or, you know, or return it uh, because, you know, you, you, you didn't do something. And, uh, and I thought that was really empowering. And then um, that's really why a lot of Bitcoiners uh, got into uh, Bitcoin in Venezuela. And for that reason, there, there wasn't a lot to forget about, right? And become accidentally rich with. They, they had to really tightly manage it and, and grow their stack. And in fact, the, lend, the loan product is incredibly appealing to them because they can use the little Bitcoin they have because our loan starts at 500 bucks, which I think is something that made it very different than others and, and really added to this idea that the product had to be inclusive. And, and, you know, we see loans go out for all sorts of things in LATAM, like buying medicine, paying for trips, paying for education, um, you know, paying for your kids, uh, uh, you know, Christmas gifts, et cetera, uh, credit. Less so in, in here, you know, you know, you, you buy a house, you buy a car, you pay down lower cost debt. Uh, it, it's a bit different. The use cases down there, it's a bit more, um, I would say, broad. And, uh, but yeah, anyway. The, the beauty for the average Venezuelan, at least the, the financially literate Venezuelan, is that they, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm sure you'd agree, they have a set of experiences that probably accelerate their ability to see this. Like we were, we were on Pomp's show last week, and one of the things we said is like, as we try to orange pill the average fireman, like it takes, as it did for us, numerous pecks on the head. And there's a little more force behind that peck, you know, when you've seen these sorts of currency issues, I, I'm, I'm guessing you've had experiences where it's clicked for your family, your peers, and those that have gone through these sorts of circumstances. 100%, and, and it does, and you start seeing things very differently. But crazy as it may sound, even though Venezuelans have been literally pummeled by inflation, if you go down to Venezuela and you pull 10 people on the street, eight of them won't be able to answer what inflation is. I would say mm. nine, because wow. they, you, you, you're, you, you, our education, our, I say our, because we do, we try our best to, 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 to drive this point home. And largely the people that get to Bitcoin understand. I often say to people, if you understand inflation, I don't have to explain Bitcoin to you. Yeah. Right. If, if you, ex if, if I have to explain Bitcoin to you, you probably don't really understand that what inflation is because anyone that understands inflation it's like it's something that you turn on that you can almost never turn off because you're always thinking about okay, where's the monetary base at? Where's my asset base at? How am I relative to the asset to the monetary base? Like what what are what are the changing conditions that may accelerate my inflation or reduce my inflation? How, what is that? How does that impact my cost of borrowing? 
So you're you're all. It's almost like you're you're. At least for me, it's been this way, and and I come from a very entrepreneurial family. But crazy as it may sound, there is an entire propaganda machine, and I say propaganda machine because I I can show you the propaganda clip if you give me two seconds. I'll look it up for you. Uh, the 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 uh, inflationary anti-inflationary propaganda that the the government puts out that says, oh, inflation is not the government's fault. It's not because we printed. X amount. It's those evil um, corporations, it's, right? It's this evil because prices yeah. prices of things start going up, and then you're like, oh, uh, you know, let's probe turkey prices, let's probe beef prices, let's probe this. What are these greedy farmers trying to do now? Um, and and then you say, but this this is a sequence. Going back to your point, coming from the future, the sequence is investigatory probe because you have to show the people that you're doing something. Okay. Yeah. Investigatory probe turns to. Oh, conversation with industry peers, conversation with industry peers, peers come back. They say, oh, we can't do this. We can't do this. Oh, oh we'll need a subsidy or, oh, we'll need, we'll need this. It's like, okay, first, here comes the subsidy. And then what happens is you misprice the protein relative to other things because it's subsidized. And so subsidies lead to overconsumption. And then the, the subsidy gap becomes bigger and bigger and bigger for the government. And eventually, because they, they don't want to cause more inflation on the other side, they say, well, okay. Um, Let's, but, but they know they don't want to do this, but eventually this leads to rationing. And it says, okay, well, you can only buy so much of the subsidized good. And then that just means that all of the uh, goods that that good can be replaced with disappear. Every, like everything starts disappearing because you start, everybody right. starts thinking, okay, what's going to get regulated next? What's going to get off the shelf next? That's, that's something that many people I think don't realize. Like, the United States hasn't dealt with as much luckily for people that live here, but Back in the 70s, they rationed oil or they, they capped the amount of what the cost of oil was. And what that inevitably did, there was an oil shortage and you could, there were cars lined up and running out of gas at gas stations. I mean, that happened in this country in the 70s. Probably going to happen again. That is exactly why it happened because they rationed it or they price fixed it. And when you price fix something, there's no longer any rationale for somebody to want to produce it because they can't make any money. So, like, this is all about incentives, just like Bitcoin. Everything in this world is about the incentive structure. And I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Charlie Munger, one of the greatest quotes from him is, you show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. Mario, I want to skip over to you here. You got an interesting background, man. I'm excited to get into it. I, I, it's a pretty, pretty different than Maurizio's. Yeah. you. Uh, I know you host on Hashed. We're big fans. You've spent time and you were thinking you were going into education in South Korea. You've spent time at Blockstream. There's a lot to unpack. Give us... Uh, your background, what brought you to Ledin, and uh, if you've got any fresh takes on some of the topics we've been uh, ripping on here. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to add to, to, to Maurizio's take on uh, inflation because I uh, have been fortunate enough not to see it uh, that close. But yeah, I mean, you summarized me pretty well. Yeah, I, I got, I've got the humanities background. I never really had much of an interest in finance or business or tech or anything except like from a distance. And uh, yeah, I went off to South Korea to teach English for a while. And just kind of on a whim, had some guy at a bar um, introduce uh, the idea of Bitcoin to me. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. And forgot about it for about a year. And then, um, yeah, stumbled into the the Seoul Bitcoin meetup, which is, uh, uh, yeah, run by a great group of guys. Uh, shout out to Ruben Thompson. He's one of the co-hosts out there. And so I uh, I got very, um, I got introduced from the, the, the kind of technical angle. I just thought it was super interesting learning about how UTXOs worked and like, you know, why SegWit was important and all that stuff. Uh, uh, you know, it's, so it's been fascinating actually, like joining Ledin and, and like getting interact with a lot of my colleagues, uh, you know, um, you know, who, 
uh, have you know come to this world from a place of necessity, and um, and it's been really interesting seeing it from the other angle. But mm. um, I do um, it, it really helps me realize all this kind of banking privilege I've had that I've just totally taken for granted. You oh, know, like totally. you know, you all know. You, you, I was thinking of this question before when you you were talking about like you know oh, how about all these rich Venezuelans down there and 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 the one thing that came to mind for me was like um, well, kind of two things came to mind. One was that like I was like fortunate enough that like. Um, early on, I was using Bitcoin actually in a practical sense in that I, I like doing my own remittances from Korea when I was sending money home. And um, just I thought it was cool that I didn't have to go down to a bank and like, you know, do the wire thing. I could do it myself manually. And it was actually a bit more of a pain in the ass because going through all these steps, I was actually sending it through uh, Quadriga at the time, which uh, oh, luckily yeah, I, we know the story luckily there. Luckily, I wasn't, wasn't yeah. leaving coins on there. But, yeah. um, uh, but you know, and that, but that wasn't from a place of necessity. That is from a place of, oh, cool, I can do this on my own. Um, and like a lot of like my interest in it was also like, again, savings technology. Um, but I, I'm also kind of reminded of like over the last, um, you know, especially like pre block size wars there, there wasn't as much of an emphasis on Bitcoin as like savings technology store of value. Like that narrative was there, but it wasn't as prominent. Um, there was a lot more kind of a, a focus on like kind of direct usage, you know, again, like the Silk Road thing or like, you know, sending international payments and stuff. And, and again, that stuff was easier when like, you know, we didn't realize we had these constraints regarding fees, but um. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's just a bit of where I come from, and I like um, yeah. So I, I I just you know did the meetup for a while and uh, self studied, learned some like coding cryptography, and uh, ended up uh, getting introduced to some of the guys at Blockstream and joined uh, doing customer support for a while. And uh, yeah, eventually uh, actually a uh, CoinKite uh, brought me uh, together with the Leden team uh, when I was visiting Toronto. I um, I uh, was invited to uh, one of these steak dinners uh, uh, put on by NVK and uh, ended up. Uh, chatting with Adam and Mao and I, I I was really primed to uh to to be excited about Leden um because I, I remember thinking at the time there was this interesting dynamic going on where uh you know like Bitcoin has this you know there was this not your keys not your coins mantra you know like quadriga just happened so especially in Canada this was really emphasized and you know whole self-sovereignty thing is such an important part of the Bitcoin ethos um and almost everybody who really, really gets Bitcoin will then go into building exclusively kind of non-custodial tools. And um, I remember thinking at the time that like there's probably underrated um, services that are going to emerge soon that will kind of leverage the um, like will will yeah take advantage of just you know the fact that there there's there are some services that people are going to want that are not going to be um, you know fully self-sovereign in nature. And I, I thought that was like an underrated space that I wanted to keep an eye on. And so when I met um, when I met um, Adam and Maurizio and they started talking about Leden, right away I was like, oh, this is one of those things I've been looking for. And like, um, and I, I kind of um, and I, yeah, and I really got the sense that you know the, these guys weren't out to um, build the next uh, you know shitcoin casino, if you will. It's like um, there's there's like a real genuine like uh, desire to provide a service here and. Uh, so I was uh, I was hooked early on. I was a very enthusiastic early client, and um, and uh, yeah, joined the team about a year ago. Very cool. There's one thread I want to pull on from something that you said, which is we've only been in since 2017. Um, so we we have lived most of our Bitcoin lives with the inflation hedge narrative kind of ruling, like the gold mm. 2.0 narrative. But if you go back, really more the censorship resistant self sovereignty angle. Here's where I'm going with this. Massively generalizing. Let's say we start with the spirit of self-sovereignty. We kind of move into inflation hedge because that's exactly what it accomplishes. But it feels like, especially with you folks being up in Canada, and we've, boy, have we talked to a lot of Canadian Bitcoiners. We've had- I think more than the United States, man. Valis, Foss, Foss on twice. We've had NVK on twice. We've had Sessions on. You guys, 
we've had kind of a billboard up there in Canada recently that's displayed the importance of the origins of this protocol, the self-sovereignty censorship resistant. You boys kind of feeling that we're flipping back and that 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 the inflation billboard is still blinking, but now we have this other billboard that's also flashing brighter than it has before for uh, more mainstream folks and people that haven't been paying attention to that characteristic of Bitcoin. So this is a great question. And, and I think uh, there, there's so much to, to unpack there, but I think what, I, what I'll bring it, what I'll try to sum it up as is Bitcoin is a multi-featured asset. It has so much more than one good attribute or characteristic. It is a censorship resistant, self-sovereign asset that it can be done in a complete that you in which you could have complete self-custody. It is completely transparent and verifiable. Uh, it has a finite supply. There, you know, it, it so and it shines in different circumstances for each attribute will shine in a different uh, circumstance for different reasons. So, uh, for example, in the context of what's happening in Ukraine, it's the self-sovereign uh, resistance assets. In the context of what MicroStrategies is doing, it is a great asset for uh, reserving and protecting yourself against inflation, right? Uh, in the context of, say, um, you know, what, what we do at Lenin for Proof of Reserves, it's an asset that allows itself to be verified 24-7 on the blockchain. And you can you know, very easily look at balances uh, or, or, and, and confirm that things are or aren't not where they should be. You know, in different times, for example, so when, when Quadriga occurred, uh, it was the transparency and the auditability of Bitcoin that shunned. And it was like, okay, well, what about the great custodians? How are we doing custody? Um, how are we regulating custody? How are we talking about custody? And that, that struck out a huge conversation. And now, oh my God, this is a great asset that can be stored very safely. Uh, and so, you know, along come and then there's a proliferation of custodians. And I think so each time you see uh, each threat, and mind you, some threats are, or attributes are more, um, what you might say, palatable uh, or, or prone to be regulated than others. And so it's, uh, each one of these will have camps of fans and camps of people that perhaps are not, uh, uh, are, are, that some people will see these things as uh, assets. Some people might see these things as, as, you know, these things are a challenge to overcome. But again, at the end of the day, they provide a very tangible benefit to people all over the world. And I think that's what makes it so special. Yeah, just to just to add on to that, it reminds me of that the parable like, with the blind men, uh, you know, each touching an, a different part of an elephant and describing, you know, what an elephant is like, it, you know, kind of reminds me of that. Like, there's so many different aspects of it. I want to I want to give a shout out to this. Uh, I've dropped it in our chat, like if you can post it in show notes or something um, that there's an uh, there's an article written by Nick Carter and uh, Hasu. Um, where they tracked kind of the, the various Bitcoin narratives and how much share they had over time. So if you, if you look, um, like they, they, they came up with this, this really, really cool chart that just kind of shows the kind of ebbing and flowing of the different narratives. And, um, and yeah, like it, it's just, it, it isn't any one thing. And sure, depending on the different environment, different kind of beneficial properties of Bitcoin are going to come to the forefront. You know, right now, like inflation is, you know, like the thing that's on everyone's minds. And um, although actually, I think that's changed a lot with uh, with what's going on in uh, in Ukraine right now. Like, you know, there's been something like $100 million worth of humanitarian aid sent by cryptocurrency networks and like a huge bulk of that in Bitcoin. It's been a lifeline for individuals, um, you know, who are now, you know, stuck behind Russian sanctions and like need to be able to get money in and out. Uh, you know, I have a, uh, actually a friend of mine like had been sending me all sorts of like really interesting DMs that I, I, I tweeted the other day about like how it's just, you know, suddenly... 
like he's got friends over there who are really, really interested in like hardware wallets and not just as a curiosity, but again, out of necessity. And yeah, who knows, like two years from now, we might be talking about a completely different aspect of Bitcoin just because it can serve some other purpose. Um, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully the next one is a bit more of a, yeah, a bit more of a, an uplifting scenario than either of those two. But um, yeah, right. I mean, we, we can't expect these, these things are going to be constantly um, flowing. Yeah. Bitcoin is a great teacher and something when you stumble into it, you usually have some kind of an angle that you're interested in and you 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 walk down the rabbit hole there, but then you also ancillarily walk into these other aspects that it has and it, it is incredibly deep and it is it's something I don't think anyone's really ever reached the bottom of this rabbit hole yet, certainly not myself. I want to talk about some of the products that you guys are uh that you guys are, have done here. So the real estate one is something I think is going to be really, really interesting to people. I was, I'm hoping you guys could maybe flesh that out for us and tell us exactly how that works. And maybe we'll ask a couple of questions about it. Yeah, for sure. So the, the product it's right now, it has not hit the market. Just to be clear, it will, we are expecting it to hit the market in Ontario pretty soon. And again, follow quick follow in the US and, and that'll all, or that should all happen, uh, uh, hopefully within this year before the, at the end of the year. Uh, so the way the product structured today is, it is. Um, it allows you to post 100% of the value of the property that you want to buy in Bitcoin. So let's just say, for argument's sake, you want to buy a million-dollar house. Um, you would have to then post a million dollars worth of Bitcoin collateral uh, to, and a, a, a sort of a lien or, sort of, or a mortgage on the property for the property that's worth a million dollars. And so you would have a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, a million dollars worth of property, and we would then advance the funds to, to purchase the house. So basically, it's a million-dollar loan and you're placing a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and a million dollars worth of property as collateral. To us, it's still 50% loan to value. We still have two times the amount of money that is being lent out to the client. Uh, and, and we have a much more stable pool of collateral in that you know, real estate prices are not as volatile as Bitcoin. So that provides quite a few benefits to, uh, to the loan, which is that one, it, it allows us to give more generous timelines for clients to post collateral if the price of Bitcoin comes down mm. to the, to the yeah. south side and we, they need to, to top up, which is, you know, uh, it, we cannot do that in the standard Bitcoin back loan offering. There's, a, there's an immediate liquidation threshold uh, where in the Bitcoin mortgage, uh, when the threshold is reached uh, and the price drops enough, the client has two weeks essentially to top up the Bitcoin before uh, action has to be taken on the Bitcoin. What we hear, what we heard from our clients was that that was really important for them uh, because they wanted to be able to have enough time. Many of these uh, clients have uh, some of their extra Bitcoin in, in you know, some geo-distributed facilities that are very hard to get to, and they need some time right. to kind of go and, and get it. And so we wanted to. Do, our job really is to create is to create a, 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 a an offering that you know solves a problem for you. So the people who would benefit most from this are some say people that are, you know, fairly wealthy in Bitcoin terms, but they don't want to sell because they don't want to incur that massive tax implication that selling would would incur on them on their part. And they maybe don't qualify for a million dollar loan outside of, you know, their income stream. So they could still get themselves this million dollar house if that's what they want. Um and yeah, that sounds like an awesome product and it's definitely something people are looking for in this market. I think what you just did there, Josh, is important. And let's keep doing that in this conversation because if someone's listening and they're confused and they're not putting the pieces together, I think us bringing it back and saying, hey, what kind of person is using this product is important to make this digestible. And this really is the Bitcoin cash, the, the Bitcoin rich- Oh, whoa, whoa. Did you say cash Bitcoin terms- cash? 
Yeah, whoa, that was a whoa, Freudian slip. Oh, kick me out, dude. Just boot me from the meeting. Done. Um, this is the this is the Bitcoin rich, relatively cash poor individual that wants access to a home. Very different than a Bitcoin cash person. That, yeah. that, that, that is very true. <laughs> Both of those are correct. Uh, but but no, that that is very true. Uh, uh, basically, this product, the, the main uh, client, the, the main persona for this product was precisely, uh, you know, a lot of our clients who are, to your point, you know, uh, they become pretty Bitcoin wealthy. Because of that, they don't necessarily, uh, the, the bank really, uh, when, when the bank looks at you for a mortgage, so this is an interesting point. I think I've touched on this in a, uh, some other conversations, but I'll touch on it again. Is a lot of people mistakenly think that a mortgage is a loan against your house, and and your income is just this thing that's there. Uh, it, it's actually not. The, the way the banks look at it is the mortgage is a bank against as a loan against your income, and it has mm, your house yeah. as the ultimate collateral. Right. But right, what, right. what yeah. really qualifies you to buy the house is those monthly cash flows. It's not the value of the house, right? If if, if it was point. the value of the house, all of us could show up and say, "I want that five million dollar mansion," and be like, "Okay, five percent down," and that's not what happens. <laughs> um, well, this is the beauty for you as the lender in this scenario because. Now you're you're actually you have your fingers on the real honeypot. Like it's income obviously matters, but in your mind, the Bitcoin is the bigger deal, and that's either present or not. Yeah, to to, to be honest with you, like I I would say no lender wants to ever yeah, I, think yeah. of a scenario where they have to take out the for loan sure. because or close out the loan because that just makes for a, you know shitty client experience to be honest. Right. And, but the truth no. is, here's one here's one to kind of correct that narrative if someone's thinking that. You have to be totally transparent and fair on both sides because for your other set of clients that are seeking yield, they need, they need these assurances. You know what I mean? So it, I understand and I appreciate you saying that and we understand that nobody in your shoes ever wants to liquidate someone. But if you're not willing to liquidate someone, well, then the rest of your product's horseshit. You know what I mean? So it, it is like there's a yin and a yang there. There's, I was just the distinction I think is between like you know being willing to as like a risk management process versus like looking at it as something that we've gotten as ours. You know, it's it's just it allows us to kind of you know reduce the risk on our end, which just allows us to you know improve cost of capital. Um, yeah, and, and you make a you make a very good point. Like uh, you know, this is exactly what because listen, we do have to liquidate at times some of our Bitcoin back loads when the prices uh, when the prices move and a lot of our clients, you know, they didn't plan accordingly or not a lot, I would say a very small subset and I would say increasingly less so, which I'm very proud of because it shows us that our clients are getting more educated. So every time we have one of these events, it's on a, on a relative basis, it's less and less uh, of the people that, that seem to get affected. Uh, but you know, we do have to, to mention that and reference that when we say, you know, it's a challenging part of the business because you have to manage the relationships with both the borrowers and the lenders and you have to protect the lenders and you also have to do your best to protect the borrowers, right? But there, there, there is the unfortunate instances where either the borrower overstretched themselves or they didn't have enough Bitcoin uh, to, to kind of top it up. We've had the case where, where some clients say, listen, I think this is going lower. I don't want to top this up because I think this is going to get you know, stopped out again at a lower price. So I'm just going to let it get closed out. Don't worry, do what you got to do. And, and that's, happened, that's happened to us too. And so, you know, it, but it's really about being very clear about that point. Have, having the ability and, and being able to liquidate is what allows us to raise capital at lower and lower costs and allow more and more people 
to be able to finance their Bitcoin to do more with it and, and keep getting it into more and more hands because we're making it, in our view, more and more useful. And so the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reality of our business, this ability to, to, to liquidate. And, and, and you know, we, we do our best to be very upfront with our clients so that they know what they're walking into and they can plan accordingly and, and nothing catches them by surprise. Uh, Mags asked us a question specifically about liquidations, how they work. Give our audience just an understanding of what it looks like if you're entering one of these agreements with you. And like you said, there's a there's a balance here. I actually thought about this before we started talking because there is a subset of people that they want, the answer that they want is that it's mathematical, it's clear, it's definitive. If you don't meet this expectation, you get liquidated. And that's how you can trust us with your Bitcoin. And then the other side flips to, as we've discussed, there should be at least some kind of understanding and buffer and warning, which you've already alluded to. Walk us through this process for someone that actually signs up for one of these, these agreements. I say, before we answer, uh, do, do you guys know Mags? Yeah, we, we do. do. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was going to say fellow firefighters. So if you hadn't, uh. Firefighters in this space are growing exponentially. We're going parabolic. That's awesome. Um, so I guess, I guess I'll, I'll start the question is everything is mathematical and systematic. Like there, you know, as a lender, you, you can't give yourself the, the, oh, I'm going to wait and see if the price bounces or, oh, I have a crystal ball. You don't know where the price is going and your, your risk parameters are all basically set uh, so, such that you can protect the capital, right? That is your North Star as a lender is to protect the capital. If you don't protect your lender's capital, then you don't have a business. And yeah. so it is the ultimate name of the game. And one of the big stats that, that lenders look at, especially as you get further and further up the ladder of lenders, is what is your loan loss ratio? Uh, you know, do you have the ability to liquidate? What is your underwriting process like? How, how much money are you losing, basically, uh, relative to what you're lending? Yep. And at Lend, the answer to that is zero today because all of our loans are systematic and they get closed off before they ever reach those thresholds. And that's what allows us to keep growing the way we have. Um, and, and, you know, uh, like transparently, the space has been flourishing uh, because we have some other quality operators that are also doing a really good job. Um, so the way the liquidation works at Ledin is if you have a standard Bitcoin back loan, our loans are issued at 50% loan to value. So if you want to borrow $1,000, you have to post $2,000 worth of Bitcoin at the start of the loan. That is, you know, two to one. So 50% uh, loan to value. As the price of Bitcoin goes lower, your LTV ratio goes higher because the LTV is what you've borrowed by the value of the collateral. So as the price of the right. denominator goes lower, your LTV becomes higher. So the loans start at 50% LTV. When they reach 70% LTV, which equates to about a 30% drop from the price at which you got the Bitcoin, then you would get the first courtesy notification from the system to say, hey, you've reached the 70% threshold. You need to top up your loan to get it below 70%. Because once it reaches 80%, it gets automatically closed. That's the, you know, that's the first email that you get. At 75% LTV, which means the price dropped a little more, you get another courtesy email from the system. And then when the LTV reaches 80%, the loan has to be automatically closed off. And when that happens, we do a, a, obviously a market sell order and, and sell only the amount of Bitcoin needed to close out the outstanding debt. And then the balance gets sent back to your, to your savings account. And then you can withdraw it at any time. But that's basically in the unfortunate event, you can't top it up. The question I have for you then uh, is because these price swings, when they happen, they can happen really quickly. So is there a, is there a time window where that, that I have? Like, give me a day or like, is there, I guess what I'm saying is if I have a loan with you guys and it's, 
I'm getting that email at 75%. I'm, I'm at work. I'm busy. Like my sphincter is getting really tight because I, I know I'm in a position <laughs> where like five minutes from now it might happen. Like, how do I, well, and, how do and, I, and, uh, and, and this is where, this is where you have to manage the relationships with the borrowers so well and try to prevent you from getting to that position in the first place. Because what the reality is, is that nobody has a crystal ball to know if the, if the bounce is going to be short lived or if we're going to stay down there and head lower. Um, you know, if, if that were the case, then, you know, you, 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 you can't really just, you know, everybody would be a millionaire just by looking at the charts. Right. right and yeah, and right. so the, no, the reality is, the reality is that nobody has a crystal ball. And, and what I, I would actually counter that with saying that if you're being told that, oh, hey, this doesn't matter, or hey, oh, hey, yeah, we'll give you an extra 48 hours. That's a problem. That is actually, a, I would say, a big yeah. red flag because, because what happens if it doesn't? 100%. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and no, so, I get it. I understand. Uh, the business can be decapitalized. Like, you know, all of us want Bitcoin to succeed, but we have uh, responsibilities to some of our investors, you know, our lenders, and to the USDC accounts, everybody that we have to protect. And, uh, and, and, and those are the rules that we set, right? Yeah. And what we want you to be is very clear with those rules because we can't change them. It's, it's rules that we're bound by. Right. And so as long as we're all playing by them and are clear with them, we should be okay, right? Like at Latin, you can, it takes you, I think it's two clicks, tops three clicks to top up your loan from your savings account. And, yeah. and, the, and from your savings to your loan, it happens immediately. I have a, I have a couple things I want to say on this end. First of all, from this microphone, the more cold-blooded and reptilian you sound, the more interested I get in using your products, right? Because <laughs> so it, it just depends on which side you're coming. Yeah, it at does. It, from. it totally depends. The, the the other thing is that like because to elaborate on that, like that is how Bitcoin is, man. Like I'm not I'm not wishing harm on people, but this is algorithmic, cryptographic, mathematical money, man. There's no fucking around here. And if and so there is some survival of the fittest. If you're putting your entire stack and you've got nothing to top off, that's a mistake. Yeah, you're fucked up. You know what up. I mean? You you fucked up. That's a planning error. That's a planning error. That's on you. If you but if you enter this agreement with an understanding of how volatility works and sufficient liquidity, this can be a good product for you. If you don't, you could get screwed. Such is life. This is how markets work. And Bitcoin is in some ways the truest, most most ruthless of markets. So True. in some sense, we should expect that lenders are going to be the truest and most ruthless of lenders. I know that that may not be the brand you're looking for, but there is truth to that. You guys offer you can so what if I go on Lenden to take a loan from you guys and I want to do this, you guys can allow me to take um to pick how what percentage of lending, like how funded I want this thing to be. Like if I want to have a two hundred percent loan ratio or three hundred percent, can I choose that myself as I'm because I would feel much more comfortable that way. Yeah, I mean, our, our loans are fixed in that um, we offer 50% loan to value. Um, but the thing is, you're always able to add more collateral once the loan is opened, if you like. Um, so like, we're not going to we're not going to be like, Oh, sorry, you're, you've oversecured your loan. We don't like that. No, by all means, like, go for it. Um, you know, and then like, there, there's, there's also, um, you know, because, um, you know, as Maurizio pointed out, the it's, it's so fast and easy to transfer from like your savings to your loans. What people will often do is if they they want to, you know, over collateralize, sure, they can directly add some collateral, they could also just add some to, you know, um, our, our BTC savings and earn interest on it and have that ready to switch over immediately. But um, there's no like, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't say sorry, that's 
that's too much collateral. Gotcha. Um, but uh, when you first open your loan uh, with the current uh, with the current versions of the product, uh, it is fifty uh, percent loan to value. Mario, I've got a I have a question for you here because I know I read your uh, Bitcoin Magazine article on proof of reserves. Talk to us about what proof of reserves is, in what manner that's being used at Leiden, and then that parlays into another subject of like what in your guys' mind makes you makes you unique in this landscape. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, well, it's great because those are several several questions with uh, the same answer. Essentially, proof of reserves is one of the things that uh, yeah really makes us stand out. the The basic idea here is uh, you can at, at a high level you can think of proof of reserves as an attempt to bring. Um, It's a method for bringing Bitcoin's uh, high transparency and auditability into the business space. Uh, You know, there's a very simple observation that's been kicking around a long time in the Bitcoin space, which is, you know, we have these UTXOs, these, you know, on-chain transactions that you can point to and prove that you um, own, you are holding, you are in possession of a certain amount of Bitcoin. And there was also this problem, especially, you know, in early days in the industry, you had a lot of uh, businesses that were improperly run um, or, you know, had been hacked um, or, you know, didn't have the reserves they claimed they did um, just because it was an emerging emerging industry. And there was, you know, this observation that actually what it it would be trivial, like, I mean, uh, maybe I shouldn't say trivial, but like um, uh, it's much more, much more doable than with the legacy financial industry to be able to just prove that you have the reserves that you claim that you have. And um, and this idea had been like floating around for like quite some time. I mean, Kraken, I believe, did uh, some version of proof of reserves back in uh, 2014, and then there was kind of silence for a long time. And there were a few people talking about it. Um, you know, Nick Carter, I think, is probably the has, has done the most. Uh, you know, considering his reach and how much he's been banging that drum. But you know, Maurizio published his own uh, his own article a few years, uh, a couple years back. Uh, there are a couple other names in the space and um, saying kind of, you know, this is something that, um, wh- wh- why aren't we doing more of this? Why aren't clients demanding this? And uh, and yeah, like the, so Ledin, I still remember this because I was, it was just before I joined the team. And so I was a very, very happy client when I saw this. Um, Ledin did the, the, the first proof of reserves um, for any uh, lender in the cryptocurrency industry. This was um, uh, just over a year ago, it would have been January uh, 2021. And, um, and that was like, that was a pretty significant breakthrough in that like I, um, and that the the kind of original, very purist idea of proof reserves, which is how I thought of it, was um, was you know you have your your UTXOs and you just you, you point to them, you can publish a signature that shows that you're in possession of them. Um, and due to the nature of our product, like coins are lent out, that's how we generate um, we generate interest on our savings. And um, so what Ledin has done is we partnered with Armadino um, LLP, and uh, we we anonymize our data. Uh, we open our books to them, and they go through and tally up all the assets and liabilities. They see what reserves we have, what's you know owed to us by, let's say, you know our our, our partner uh, Genesis. And um, what they do is they'll produce a Merkle tree. Um, you know, it's this data structure where it becomes trivially easy to prove that a certain amount of data is within a larger set. And what letting clients can do is you get a unique hash ID, just anonymous little ID, and you go to the Armenino um, Trust Explorer and you put that in there. And it'll say, you know, there's an account that matches this, you know, this ID that as of, you know, this date has had, you know, this much, uh, uh, you know, Bitcoin and USDC attested to it. And so, yeah, what this does is it allows people to realize that, hey, we are operating as we say we are. There's no funny business going on behind behind the scenes. We're not, um, 
We're not, you know, using clients, um, you know, funds, you know, for for any of our own purposes. We are operating, you know, transparently. And like, this is the kind of thing that really excites me about this is that, you know, not only, so we have this kind of original idea, okay, you have Bitcoin on chain, you can prove it. Okay, now you can use the same principles in partnership with, you know, a third party accounting firm like we're doing. And like, uh, what I really want to see is over the next five, 10 years, A, I want to see more of this happening. And luckily in the last year, Agreed. more companies have followed suit. So, you know, we got Kraken doing it, BitMEX, um, uh, BitMix has done it. Um, you know, there are a few other ones listed in the article. Um, so it's it's gathering steam a little bit. Um, I would love to see this become an industry standard. Um, be, and clients, like frankly, they should demand it. Like I don't know why you would use a use a service that holds your coins and they're not doing proof of reserves. Completely agree. I mean, especially seeing you guys do it. Like, mm. if that box isn't checked, it's game over. You know what I mean? The the thing is that again, I mean, just to say it and to give a huge kudos to our operational team, our treasury team, our lending desk. Uh, approval reserves uh, attestation is it requires an entire uh, the, the 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 effort and the buy-in and the collaboration of your entire organization because uh, you know you have to make sure your security team has to be involved to make sure that like no client data is being shared. Uh, your your treasury team has to be able to give all the balances at an up to date like right on time. There has to be like really fluid communication because there's this precise point in time at which everything has to match. Uh, and so it's it's at Ledin, one of the things that makes us very well suited for this is our simplicity uh, because we operate with, in our view, you know, very high quality assets, and it's a very simple business. We have a very simple suite of products. And we have really great counterparties and not that many of them, to be honest, because we just select, we are very careful in how we select them. And, yeah. uh, and so that, uh, that makes us uniquely positioned to do this. And when we, the, we are, uh, in the way that we do it, I think we're still the only lender that does it. And, uh, and I think that that's a huge testament to, um, you know, the entire team, because, uh, you know, people see all proof of reserves, but, you know, it, it, it requires, it's a really big lift. And there's a reason that there are, I wouldn't say there's a, there's a, there's several reasons why other companies haven't necessarily been able to jump and do it, uh, because it's, 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 it's tricky. Yeah, it's, it's a real investment into, into transparency. I got one, one kind of funny anecdote that I, I, realized when I was uh, researching um, uh, for that article was uh, gate.io was this exchange that did proof of reserves a couple of years ago. And it took them like half a year to publish it or something from the date because they had something like 200 assets, which, you know, like kudos to them for actually going through and doing it. But like, yeah, that's again, that's another reason why like there's there's a real value in kind of simplicity and and um, and being, you know, like instead of producing like tons of products um uh you know just trying to capture all markets like being like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna find uh you know the the, the products and the assets of people that are highest quality and just do them right yeah i don't think that the um there can be a large enough explanation point that can say how big of a difference this is from the traditional banking system to this new financial structure that we're forming now because if you go to chase wells fargo or Citibank and you ask them for proof of reserves like they literally are fractionally reserved. Like we're talking 10% of the assets. I mean, they're allowed to not to relend out 90% of the assets they have on hand. And without the FDIC and government backing, obviously they would have crumbled years ago with that, with that kind of a loan to value ratio going on. Like that is just not, that is not something that you can perpetuate for a long period of time before you have a bank run and you completely collapse. But what we're talking about here is the complete counterpoint to that, which is. 100% reserves that are provable 
uh, from a blockchain, which can't be manipulated by anybody with the highest standard, highest performing asset in history. Like this is, it's such an exclamation mark to diverge in these two different financial systems that are currently operating next to each other. It's, it's pretty stunning. And even if you're not 100% reserved, like that's something we can get into. I don't know the exact dynamics, but the key word here is transparency. What I think of, what I think of here is that if you're going to draw out legitimate Bitcoin hodlers with significant wealth that understand the significance and uniqueness of Bitcoin, you're going to have to play an ultra fair game, right? Because this altcoin land and this Bitcoin land, the way we're wound, polar opposite. And financial services companies built around Bitcoin are going to be held to higher standards than fiat predecessors because Bitcoin is the epitome of monetary transparency and accountability. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with your statement. And I, and I do want it to just make it clear that we like being brutally honest with everybody. Like there are risks in any lending business. You know, the, you know it doesn't yes. matter how much we can, you know, test our like we lend money and we lend to counterparties and we can prove that they have them. But at the end of the day, you know, there is some operational element, even if we choose the best of the best counterparties, like there is risk the same way that are risks in any other lending business. And, and any business that's telling you that there aren't risks in your lending operation, I would welcome you to check them because I, I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's not an easy thing to uh, lead with if you're trying to sell a lending business. But I think it's very important that everybody understands that we have an incredible team of professionals understanding all these risks and doing our absolute best to essentially mitigate them. And in our view, we do it better than anyone. Uh, but there are risks at the end of the day. And our accounts are not FDIC insured or CDIC insured uh, because you can't print Bitcoin. Those are meaningless in Bitcoin. <laughs> and, and, I would, and I would argue that they're meaningless in the real world because I, I come from a place <laughs> that I, I've needed them. And trust me, you know how they get those 25K? They print it again. And when yep. they do that, they devalue the value of the original 25K. So what you end is never, like, it's just a placebo type of insurance, at least in hyperinflationary nuclear scenario like happened in Venezuela. And right. so this FDIC is more so so that you can keep the trust in the banking system, right? Yep. Because if that you didn't have it, to, to your point, you know, it would be very hard to grab this trust. The same way it was very difficult for companies like Ledin at the early days to prove to people that we had the operational expertise to protect your Bitcoin when you lent it to us. Um, yeah. Because don't, don't forget, like, Bitcoiners are the most, in, our, in my view, uh, out of the entire uh, uh, universe of, call it crypto, if you want to call it, Bitcoiners are, are the shrewdest, the most discerning, the most sort of uh, uh, skeptical, the guys that do the most diligence. And we... When I got clients on the phone in the early days to say, I want to talk to one of the founders, I was like, I'm so glad to be on the phone with you because <laughs> every single person that gets to this level of diligence somehow ends up choosing Latin. So I'm really yeah. happy to be here on the phone with you today. I thought you were going to say Dogecoin. Uh, I thought Dogecoin people would have been all of those points that you hit yeah. there, but oh, you yeah. know, what do I know? He, all right. I got a question here and this could be tough to answer, but I think it's an important thing to explore. So when I look at this, this uh, financial services space. I'm seeing this competition for yield. Okay. So we're competing with Gemini and BlockFi and all these participants. And I'm not here to sling mud at any one company because tip, tip the hat to any entrepreneur that's got a product in the marketplace and people are buying it as long as it's not malicious in intent. Okay. That's my disclaimer. But to back up, 
I'm not interested in who's giving the highest yield. I'm interested in who's giving me the yield in the most risk-free, honest, transparent manner. Is this a tough dynamic for you folks? Because it does feel like researching and even talking to you, it's clear that you guys echo a true Bitcoin ethos, but yet you're in a marketplace with a number of yield-seeking, probably short-sighted organizations that are just trying to get the, the most appealing number up on the internet. Not only the organizations, but the people the people buying these things are just looking at the number like, oh, they're offering me one, 10 basis points more. I'm going there. What's this dynamic like to balance? And uh, yeah, walk us through that. So it's no, it's it's a fascinating question. So I think, listen, there, uh, there's all sorts of. I think one of the biggest problems we had in this in this industry in general was the fact that um, you know this is changing more so now. But by and large, you go to a, to one of these uh, yield ranking pages, and you see every single name kind of splattered into a wall as if they're sort of indifferent, and they're all just apples in a basket that you can choose from. And that they're all the same, right? And then you're just picking, oh, this one just gives me a little bit higher or a little bit this. <laughs> and it, it, what's, what ends up happening is that crypto risk is hard to discern, right? Like, you know, once you spend enough time in this crypto space, you start being able to discern risk. And I, I would argue that a lot of people go through, and I'm not ashamed, like I'll tell you, like this happened to some of my journey as well. Like you come into Bitcoin, you understand it, you start learning about these other technologies, you're like, oh, wow, this looks promising. And until you start seeing something, because you're learning, you come into crypto, you're curious. So you, you're, you're going to be naturally curious about other things. Like you don't, you don't, I don't think a lot of people come into Bitcoin thinking or crypto thinking it's Bitcoin. It's the only thing. And then I don't think there's anything else. You, you come and you start exploring and then you read and you start reading one of the, you know, you start following up with the people involved. And then some of, the, some of them do some stuff or you write something or you write a proposal or you read about history and something happened because some dude said something and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound pretty cool. Uh, and you're like, maybe I should stick to this Bitcoin thing, but it's, you know, it, it, it's a it's a bit of a journey. So um, um, I think what um, once you are in Bitcoin for enough time or in crypto for enough time, you start understanding that the risk there's a lot of risk differences because once you start seeing a few things blow up in DeFi right. or a few CFI things blow up, you start saying, "Oh, whoa! Um, how are these guys actually operating?" And then you start becoming a little more diligent and you start asking a little more questions. I mean. And I was just going to say, if you're just thinking about like people might look at USDC, maybe that's the best example of like a, a stable coin, but there's, there's tons of risk built into just that one thing. You've got currency risk, which is the dollar itself. That's a risk. You've got protocol risk, which is that there wasn't a mistake made in the code that was actually surrounding this protocol. Then you've got centralization risk of whatever that thing's riding on top of, whether it is um, Ethereum or whether it's um, one of the other smaller protocols, there's risk there. There's pegging accuracy from the algorithm that actually has to try to keep that thing stable with the dollar. And if there's liquidity in that market for it to actually be able to maintain its peg. And then you've got regulatory risk on top of that, which is maybe the government's going to come out tomorrow and say that all of these things are illegal. Like Each one of those risks are layered on top of one another. And that is just talking about a stable coin. I mean, it's, it's immense. You introduced all the, yeah, the whole menu and it gets even more fragile. The thing that really gets me is when they report these like crazy high yields that you find out it's paid in like some native DeFi token. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, you know, how, like, how do you, how do you not mention that? You know, it's like, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, it, but it's so, so, so going back, I think just, you know, to, to, to put up 
to guide the conversation, I think, in a way of, of where I think this is going. So I think this is exactly the problem that I, I think in optimistic me thinks regulators are out to solve, right? Because what, what's, what's happening is you're getting all sorts of platforms trying to dress themselves like Lenin and say, oh, hey, look, you know, uh, we're FDIC insured. I've seen some lenders claim FDIC insurance. <laughs> and I'm like, how, like, it's, a, it's actually impossible. And so, like, there, there's a lot of misrepresentation uh, in some parts of the industry. There are, there are some providers that are operating under different rule sets. Like, we have to do full KYC and have a regulatory and compliance team. And, and But there's, somebody can spin up a, protocol and do lending without asking anybody to identify themselves. And, and I think that those things are going to change. They just haven't had the time to properly get to uh, what they really need to do. But I, I think that's coming. And I think what, what's going to happen is um, you, you're going to have these... Listen, I, people like to think or paint all regulation with a bad brush. I, I actually think it's the opposite. I think, you know, if you look at the system today and if you look up even oppressed countries like Venezuela and you say, okay, where do the wealthy Venezuelans have their money? And the answer is the United States. And they have it at very regulated banks uh, with, and, and with very regulated, you know, asset managers. And, and, and that is the case with probably people in Ukraine and others. And so it's not that people run away from regulation, they run away from bad regulation and regulation that holds you back and that makes you, uh, and that sets you back. But there are, I would argue that there's some regulation that allows some economies to flourish or some societies to flourish. And so I think regulation is gonna do two things. It's gonna allow the average person to be better able to say, oh, this is something that has more of a process built up to it. It's getting checked at by a few people that are outside external, i.e. the regulators. And right. that gives me a little bit of trust, which is what happens in the system today. And, and I think that, you know, some people like to think, okay, this is crappy, but like, you know, I actually think the opposite. I think this is going to open up Bitcoin to be usable to a lot more because we're all here. And I would bet you that all of us here are like the trailblazers in our family or the guys that all of our groups of friends look at to do all the bleeding edge thing. But eventually for it to get palatable to all of them, uh, it has to have all these checks and balances and safety guards and safety rails, right? That, that yeah. they like. I think the cynic would say, um, the thing about regulation, at least for where I sit or where we sit in the United States is, there's a lot of vested interests in, from the banking industry that obviously don't want to see this competition you know, moving its way in. And they've got a lot of money and a lot of ability to lobby for laws that will make this more difficult. And I think that's the that's kind of the tit for tat thing that we're looking at right now. Because I think you're right. I think good regulation is obviously something I don't think you're going to find many people that are going to have a problem with. But it's going to be the the lobbyists that are working for the banks that would rather not see this happen is is going to be where we run into problems. To, to be honest, I think the banks are like they're, they're starting to get dollar signs on their eyes. Uh, with all of this. Well, the game theory will work, hopefully. They think in numbers. And and I think they're starting to see the opportunity in this space. Like you you look look at Silvergate, look at Signature. Uh find me a regional bank in the US that's growing faster than they are. Uh yeah. and and I think that the you know, I, I we're having a lot of conversations with banks from all over the world and they all want in. Like they all want to find a way or they they have a crypto division or they've had a crypto briefing on their boards the, you know it, it, the game has changed and i think that listen banks and everybody wants to make money 
the reason banks or anybody wouldn't make money is because they already have it too good and stepping outside of their very regulated box could break this engine of literally printing money. <laughs> so they're saying, we're not going to get, we're not going to break this engine, this money printing engine until we know for a fact that whatever we add to the engine is not going to break it, right? So once yeah. we have full crystal clear, don't forget, these guys have it way too good. Like what is their incentive to move faster, to get to the top? They're already the top. Right. So, you know, they, they're, they're not going to break it. And that's why it takes innovators like companies like Ledin that are willing to kind of blaze this and trailblaze it. And once we get to the other side, um, you know, we'll either be fighting alongside with them uh, and changing the, and making them act differently. Right. Because they're, you know, it's going to come a point where, you know, these companies are growing too fast. And if you look back at sort of the innovator dilemma and the, inno and the history of innovation, like, if this thing continues the way it goes, like, I mean, just to put it in a different way, like ABC or NBC were never able to go digital, right? Like they, they were never able to beat Netflix. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the big uh, airline agencies were never able to beat Expedia. They were never able to beat, you know, any of the big natives, the, the digital natives. So like, it's very difficult for incumbents to become cool. It's like that meme, the, the how do you do fellow kids right, right. Uh, meme when you, when, you, when you try to become- Put the hat backwards. And, and, and I think you, you, you're going to see some of that. There, there's going to be some of the old guys thinking, yeah, no, we're just going to get into this. The same way GM <laughs> thought it. they were going to get into electric cars, right? And they just got blown out by Tesla. And, and so I think it's, it, it just, and, and it's inevitable. Yeah, the thing that's fascinating, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this, is like when I just having interacted with you guys here for an hour, like, yeah, you're moving into this paradigm shifting Bitcoin digital money future, but you're actually, it looks like trying to position yourself to win by being the slowest moving and most conservative because you do have these two, you have these two juxtaposed conflicting worlds in crypto, right? And we like, we're we're speaking to an audience that if they sniff even the tiniest hint of impropriety, they're gone. You know what I mean? We're we're talking to an audience of people that were barking, cold store your Bitcoin deep on a cold card, set it, forget it. And so it's interesting to like have you guys on because it's almost like, first of all, I think all of us would admit this is not for everybody. We would say this right off the top. This product is not for everybody, but we're we're entering a new marketplace where to compete you need to demonstrate to somebody that, that's thinking about taking one-tenth of their stack off deep cold storage on a cold card and bringing it out and getting some yield or buying a house. And they're going to need to feel completely safe and totally comfortable to do that. Right. Um, I, we've talked about a lot of this. So this is sort of like a synthesis summary question. But if you guys were talking to that member of our audience, what would you say to try to convince them that you're that you custodying this is something that they can trust. And then secondarily, I do have another question about a product that you guys are thinking about, or I've heard you're thinking about where, where it stays on chain or people maintain keys. Maybe you can talk about that, but get, give that person sort of your, your TLDR summary on why you guys are unique and why you should be trusted. Uh, listen, I think it's hard to, 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 put it into a sort of 30 second elevator pitch that says, trust me, right? Like I, I think I would yep. say to people, do your diligence, do not trust, verify. We want to be diligent. Ask us questions, ask our support team. We have a one hour response time. We'll get back to you 
no matter what. Uh, and and if you are, if we can't answer your question via email and you really need to get on the phone with somebody, we'll do that. Like we'll, we'll set up a call with you uh, and we'll explain to you how we do things because I think that's the only way you're going to gain trust. Come meet us if you're around. Like we're going to be in Miami. If you're down there, Mario's going to be in the booth uh, and, and we're going to have an amazing uh, team down there. Come talk to us, like meet us. Uh, I think there's too much of the abstraction of the people from mm. this industry. And at the end of the day, you you can put all the bells and whistles on your website, but it's going to be people that make that happen. And so go find out who's behind that. And uh, and, and I think you're going to come off with a pretty good impression. And I would also, I would also tell you, don't just diligence let it. <laughs> like compare us to others. Because if you just look at us, you're not going to see how great we are. Uh, and so I welcome you to compare us. We welcome that. Uh, and if you, and if we're coming short on something, please do let us know uh, because we want to win at everything, and so uh, we'll do our absolute best uh, uh, to do that. Uh, so, so I, I, that's I think what I would say, um, and, and then we can get into the, the the other product. But Mario, I don't know if you have anything to add. No, man, nailed it. I think that is the whole point of proof of reserves, though. You have somewhere to go to verify. Yeah, you know I, what I mean. Like if you're not if you're not publishing data, like the the, the people thinking about throwing money in a Bitcoin savings account or just taking people's word for it. You have to put the, the, you have to be transparent. You have to have, you know, put things out that reflect that transparency. 100%. And, and so to your point, you know, going back to the, to the on-chain uh, uh, concept of having the key on-chain, that is something that we're not strangers to. So when we originally uh, had our product, we had this model where we would have uh individual chain or an individual on-chain address for a client's uh, loan. What, what happened, what ended up happening was, you know, after we did a big survey of our clients, what, what, there was a point at which the industry bifurcated, and this is more on the cost of capital side, where, where when we were in the midst of the bear market, uh, there, was a, there was barely a, a market to finance Bitcoin-backed loans that were on-chain, because for that, you needed to go to like really, really TradFi investors uh, because anybody that was in the crypto space, i.e. the crypto brokers, so like the genesis of the world and the, and the big names in the space, they, were, they had all the liquidity, but you had to give the Bitcoin and they didn't allow us to have this setup, right? And so what ended up happening was to, to sort of get through that time, um, our cost of capital on the on-chain model was getting very, very high. And when we went out to our clients and we said, hey, listen, we can keep on-chain offerings, but it's going to be pricey, or we could switch to this sort of prime uh, setup that won't allow us to have this on-chain, but we can obviously compete a lot better on the rates. And this, the response we got from our clients was 95% of them uh, you know, were, I, I guess, that's not even 95, 99.999% of them said, that's fine. I'll, you know, I'll, I'm okay to switch to the prime broker if I can get a better rate. And, and I think that's where the market was going at the time because there was not a lot of discerning around the offerings. There were so many offerings offering Bitcoin back loans at lower and lower and more enticing rates. Yeah. People kept saying, why are you guys so high? And we're like, it's a different risk profile. But everybody, the people yeah. weren't there to discern, right? But right now, if you tell somebody, hey, on-chain reserves will probably have a different price than uh, a different type of custody setup, they'll say, that's fine. They might say, okay, I'll, I'll can take that or I can't. And for us, you know, in the future, we think it could be a nice complementary offering to have an additional type of proof of reserves because, you know, we do do proof of reserves in our model. Uh, and you can see that we are accounting for all of your assets accordingly. 
if you want to see it on chain, then that's a different type of reserve setup uh, that you know right. we're looking into facilitating in the future. Uh, but it's something that uh, you know we're not. I just wanted to say, you know, we're, we're not a strangers. We, we we're not strangers to the concept. We understand the value behind it, um, and we like to do what our clients want. Uh, so again, you know, if if you're a lead and client, and this is something that is 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 something that you know would make you. Uh, I, I know that all of our clients would probably say yes. You know, it depends on the price. Uh, but but you know, again, if it, it, we have very very good relationships with them, so they're they're very vocal with us. And uh, um, you know, keep an eye out. I, I guess that's what I'll say. We'll we'll we'll, we'll respond to our clients' feedbacks uh, and we'll and we'll create it. Before we let you guys go, I do want to ask about one other product you have, which I found really tantalizing. Tell us about how this B2X product works. And so basically what I saw is it allows you to leverage your Bitcoin into buying double the amount of Bitcoin. So what kind of, so I guess, how is that being structured so that you can do that without getting stopped out very quickly if the if the price of Bitcoin goes down, say, 20%? Yeah, so, so that is, uh, it's actually a product that is unique to Ledin. It is our best performing loan product. And it is a product that is subject to availability in some countries and, and, and it's, uh, you know, for the most part, not available uh, for US clients, uh, but it, it is available for in, in many parts of the world. The, what, the, what the product does is it allows a client to take a loan with the Bitcoin they already have to buy more Bitcoin. And the way the product was born is that we started noticing that a lot of pl- clients in the early days were taking out loans and then coming back the next day to take a smaller loan and then the next day to take a smaller loan and then take a smaller <laughs> loan. And they would just keep doing this. It's like Inception. And it's Inception exactly. of buying and Bitcoin, so, like all the way so down. We, and so, you know, we get on the phone with these guys and they're like, what are you doing? We're like, I'm using your loans to buy more Bitcoin. And I'm like, that's brilliant. And so we saw this happen once and again and then again and again and again. And then we start looking and like it's, you know, 40% of everybody using our loans is, is doing this. And it's, pretty, it's a pretty tumultuous process at the time because you had to go through like seven or eight loans. And we were saying, wow, if people are going through all these loops uh, to, 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 you know, to get here, it's probably because they really just want to buy more Bitcoin with the Bitcoin they have. And how, what if we made that product a, you know, a three-click process? Because if you think about it, it's the same risk profile in the sense of it's 50% loan to value. So yeah. in, in, in case one, you show up with $1,000 worth of Bitcoin and you borrow 500. And so Lenin has lent out 500 and has $1,000 worth of collateral. In the B2X, you show up with $1,000 worth of Bitcoin. We lend you $1,000 to buy more Bitcoin and we get to keep that $2,000. So you don't get cash dispersed to you, but you have twice as much Bitcoin in custody. And so you can then basically wait till the price changes, or you can, you can then repay the loan in cash to release your Bitcoin, or you can use the collateral to pay the cash portion and release the delta. Right, right. Yeah. Ledin, the fiat speculative attack company. That's the, uh, <laughs> that's the slogan. Gentlemen. Thank you for your time. We uh, kept you a while. We appreciate uh, all of your contributions and uh, enjoyed enjoyed this tremendously. So thanks for your time. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Give us a handoff to each of you personally and then to Ledin. Yeah, yeah sure. You can find me on uh, Twitter, Mario underscore Gibney. And uh, yeah, you can listen to listen to my rants to the Unhashed podcast. And uh, yeah, and just uh, see, see you down in Miami if you're there. Come by the Ledin booth. We're going to be down there in full force. Would love to meet you. Yeah, uh, Mauricio, you can find me at, at Cryptonomist 
a cryptonomista with an a at the end but it's if you write out chrysonomist you put an a at the end that's my twitter handle and uh at, you can you know check Ledin out at ledin.io and at hodl with Ledin is our twitter handle and check out the bitcoin economic calendar which is our newsletter that i write every week uh i actually i'm getting some help now with uh from a great new uh head of research but uh but it's a great newsletter just check it out awesome thanks guys Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB podcast. <laughs>